0: Amen. Let's get our Bibles out. We're in Luke 11. Last week we started a series on prayer and I uh, got an installment for you today. So let's make our way to Luke 11. Uh, I'm going to start reading verse 5 all the way through verse 13 in just a minute. Last time we were together we covered five lessons in prayer and today we're going to look at three requirements of effective prayer. How many want their prayers to be effective? Amen. See, religion doesn't care if the prayer is effective because there's not much faith attached to it. Religion says, I want to pray because it looks spiritual. It makes me elevated in the eyes of others. But you know what? As believers who have a relationship with Jesus Christ and who have many needs, we need our prayers to be effective, amen? When you're in trouble, you want to be around somebody who knows how to pray, amen? Somebody who can pray down heaven. Someone can get answers, words from the Lord. Hello? Anyone ever been there? thankful for that connection we have. So this morning, Lord, we thank you for the word. We thank you for Luke 11. And I pray that you would open up our eyes, Lord, so that we would love you and serve you and push off every distraction in our lives and that you would make our prayers effective today so that they would be a blessing to us and a blessing to you. I pray that in Jesus name. Amen. Luke 11, starting in verse five. And he said to them, Jesus speaking, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves because a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and has I have nothing to serve him. And from inside, he answers and says, do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children are in bed and I cannot get up to give you anything. I tell you, even if he will not get up and give him anything just because he is his friend, yet because of his shamelessness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be open. Now, which one of you fathers will his son ask for a fish, and instead of a fish, you will give him a snake. Or he will even ask for an egg, and his father will give him a scorpion. So if you, despite being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more when your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. Last time we were together, we covered five lessons in prayer. I'm going to recap those very quickly and then jump into three requirements of effective prayer from these verses. Last week, we looked at the lessons in prayer. The first lesson was humility, amen. We come to God humbly. We don't come to God demanding or with an attitude or with baggage. We come to Him humbly. And humility is what motivates God, amen. The Bible says God, what? He resists the who? He resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The second lesson in prayer was be teachable. And we learned this from the great apostle of the faith, Mr. Miyagi. Come on, who was here last week? What a, great, what a great clip, amen, just to see how that we have to trust the teacher when we don't understand, when we don't want to do what we're told, when we feel like it's hard work and there's no payoff. We trust the teacher. Be teachable in prayer. Number three was to avoid hypocrisy in prayer. What makes a prayer hypocritical? Well, it is performance-based or it's showmanship. Some people pray because they want to look spiritual in front of other people. All of us have heard these high, lofty, loud, long prayers that didn't have much anointing to them, but they were using big words and they were using some King James and, you know, they were just trying to elevate themselves. That's hypocrisy. When we pray, we shouldn't be worried about what anybody thinks but God. Amen? Last week I said we shouldn't crave the attention of man when we're doing spiritual things. That's something that you can tuck in your heart and live by. We should not crave the attention of man when we're doing spiritual things. Number four, the fourth lesson was get alone with God. If you don't have a secret place, find a secret place. Psalm one says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Amen. Get in your closet. Turn off the light. Get, go in your basement. Go in the woods. Hide. Get away from people. Turn off your phone. Don't tell anybody where you're going. Get alone with God. Come on, second service. Amen. First service was more lively than you, and they were half asleep. Lesson number five, don't pray like a pagan. How do pagans pray? Long, loud, voluminous, scripted, repetitious prayers. God doesn't ask us to pray like that. Pray from our heart. The Bible says not to pray with vain repetitions, amen? Not the same thing over and over again. Not somebody else's prayer. Not a script, not loud, not just volume, not repetition, but from the hearts. Cry out to God and be real with God. Be honest with God the only way to pray. So there are our five lessons in prayer. Here are the three requirements of effective prayer. The number one requirement of effective prayer is that effective prayer requires desperation. I want you to write that down today. Desperation. God is looking to find some people who are desperate for him. A desperate prayer says, God, you're my only hope. There's nothing anybody else can do. There's nothing man can do. There's nothing the doctors could do. There's nothing the scientists can do. God, you're my only hope. If you've ever been in a position like that where you had no other recourse but to rely on God, you understand there's a desperation that comes on a person when they're in a position such as that. And God wants us to be desperate in prayer because it moves his heart and it moves his hand and it brings his intervention in our lives this man in the parable we read about here, he was desperate. He had, a, he had a desperate need. It was a big need. He had a friend come visit him at midnight. Now, I don't know about you, but for some people, midnight is not that late. How many night owls we have here? But for most of us, my wife and I, you know, we are on Friday night at nine o'clock. We're in bed watching the food channel. Yeah, we're wild at the Leonardo house. My sons can play video games all night long until Jesus returns. But 9 o'clock, we're shutting it down, amen? So someone knocks on, on our door at midnight, that's late. And this guy, you know, he, he's, he's knocking on his friend's door. It's late, it's, it's midnight, he's got unexpected company. And what's the problem? He has a big need. He's got a friend who visited him and he's short on food. Now, you know, if you're from a culture that celebrates food, that, that's embarrassing. That's desperate right there. Short on food, amen. You know, Italians, we hide three or four cakes in the house. We got ready for company. You know, if company shows up, you pull the cake out. If you, you know, you turn the coffee on, and you got a party. But this guy had a friend come over. This guy has a knock at midnight and he's got no food to set before his friends so he he has a big need and and he's desperate now desperation happens in prayer much the same way it happens when we have a big need and the circumstances force us to realize that we we need god because only god can answer our prayer if you're in a spot in your life where god is your only hope You, you, you're in a good spot because I want to tell you something. If you harden your heart and you, and you refuse to humble yourself, things are going to get worse. But if you break and you get desperate for God and you get on your knees and you cry out to him, if you'll do that, God will break through for you in ways. Come on, second service. Desperation comes from a big need. Now the man with the big need in verse seven, he, notice he goes to a friend and Uh, he has this need, he needs food, he's got somebody coming over, and he goes to his friend's house, and look what he meets from his friend, resistance. Look what it says in verse 7 here. From inside, he answers, like, so he knocks on the door, help me, I need some bread. And from inside, he hears, go away. That's what it basically says in verse 7. And from inside, he answers and says, do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children are in bed. I cannot get up to give you anything. Think about that. Now, he didn't just go to a stranger's house. When you go to a stranger's house and you knock on the door, how many have been you know, knocking on a door and you don't know who's, you know, who's going to answer? Amen. Jehovah's Witnesses? No. But when you don't know who's going to answer, it's a little scary when the door starts to open, right? But this wasn't the case. He was at a friend's house. You'd figure, I'm in trouble. I got a desperate need. I'm at a friend's house. I knock. And what does he get from his friend? Rejection, resistance. His friend basically tells him, go away. It's late. Why are you bothering me? We just got the baby to be quiet. Everyone's asleep. You know, I can't give you anything. I want you to see what's happening here. You know what? Our human relationships are a blessing and... Friends are important, but there's sometimes we have to realize human friendships, human connections. We can only trust them so far at our moments of need. There are some things that only Jesus could do. And this friend was drawing a line on the friendship. He says, it's too late. It's too inconvenient. You know, it's too much. I can't, I, can't, I can't help you. I have nothing for you. So he meets resistance from a friend because his big need is inconvenient. And I want to say something to you tonight. Unlike any friend we have, any human friendship we have, God does not turn us away when we are desperate. God will not tell us to beat it when we come to him in our moment of need. Amen. God is not going to say, no, I can't help you. It's too inconvenient. It's too much. If we'll get desperate for God and broken for God and allow God to change our heart and to cry out to him, he will never turn us away in His in our desperation. Amen. So desperation and prayer is what god is looking for yeah we've all got big needs and we need to humble ourselves god resists the proud the bible says but he gives grace to the humble if we'll humble ourselves and become desperate god will not turn us away you know i believe many prayers go unanswered because they're not desperate enough listen to what i'm saying church i think many prayers that we pray don't get answered well i prayed and god didn't answer me well not desperate enough God responds to our desperation. Look what it says here in verse eight. I tell you, even if he will not get up and give him anything just because he is a friend, yet because of his shamelessness or his pushiness or his persistence, uh, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. You know, why? Why? Is this man's need going to be met? Why is his big need going to be met? Not because he asked once and he got turned away and he gave up, because he persisted, amen? We're going to talk about persistence next, but understand, we've got to be desperate enough to not take no for an answer, amen? Sometimes, you know, it's like, well, it didn't work out. I prayed it once, and I'm not going to. Sometimes we, you know, we have to be desperate enough to say, y- you know what, I- I- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get desperate enough until I provoke spiritual action from heaven. Listen to this. Lukewarm prayers don't move God. Lukewarm prayers. Well, God, you know, if you can help me. Well, God, if there's anything you can do. God, if you're up there. Lukewarm prayers don't move God. Desperate prayers move God. Are you willing to get desperate in the place of prayer to see your big need met? I said, are you willing to get desperate in the place of prayer to see your big need met? Amen. It's exactly what's required for effective prayer. Now, I want you to see something here. In verse 8, you know, we're seeing it wasn't desperate enough. We're talking about lukewarm prayers. The difference between lukewarm and desperate. When we're not desperate enough for God, it means we've got a plan B in mind. Is this on this morning? It's on. I was hoping it was off. When we're not desperate for God, it's because we've got a plan B in mind. Well, if God doesn't do it, you know, then I'm gonna do it myself, or I got another way, or I'll just do X, Y, and Z. And you know what? It's that plan B that gets us in more trouble than anything in life. Please hear me today. Please hear me today. God is your only hope. God is your only hope. God is your only hope. There is no plan B that works. There is no, some people waste decades trying to, you know, activate plan B only to find out that plan B doesn't work. You know, in scripture, Abraham and Sarah were promised to have a a child born and the promised child was taken too long. So they went with a plan B and they birthed a a son that God didn't intend named Ishmael. How many know about Ishmael? Ishmael was plan B. He wasn't God's plan. He was man's plan. and why did they, why did they incorporate this in? Because Isaac was taking too long. They prayed and they weren't desperate enough to wait on God, so they implemented their own plan. and look how it went here. realize they' promised a child he's going to be the father of many nations, he doesn't have one son. Listen to Genesis 16:1 through2. Now Sarai. Abram's wife had not borne him a child, but she had an Egyptian slave woman whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Did you hear what she said? That's an interesting take on things. It's just not time yet you know it's it's not that the lord's rejected you or he's you know he's mean no the lord has prevented me that that sounds like you know there's a little bit of you know agitation in there from bearing children please have relations you you heard it i said it in church Please have relations with my slave woman. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. Now, I want to unpack this a little bit here. In the culture of the day, when you had servants, man, they were servants to every degree. You could actually give your servants to your husband and have children by them, and they were all part of the clan. And and you say, is that biblical? Is that godly? No, it was cultural. And here's Sarah telling Abraham to do something that's cultural, but it's not biblical. And not only is it not biblical, it was not God's idea. And not only it wasn't God's idea, it was plan B. And the result of plan B was that Abraham bears this son. Now in Genesis 16, 15 through 16, it says, now I want you to notice something here. You know, something about plan B. She comes to her husband and says, I, I want you to, you know, have a child with my handmaiden. And notice a- Abram goes... That sounds like a good idea. Come on, guys. Why why is that? And I'll tell you why. Because the flesh is easier than the spirit. To do things that satisfy our flesh are a lot easier than doing what's spiritually correct. And so this was a bad idea. This was plan B. But it says here, Abram agreed with his wife. That's a good idea, honey. I'm glad you thought of that. And here's the result in verses 15 and 16. So Hagar bore a son to Abram, and Abram named his son with Hagar and named him Ishmael. Now listen, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael. Understand that. Isaac was born when Abram was 100. And this, is, this guy, Ishmael, born at 86. That was 14 years premature, 14 years ahead of God. 14 years of, let's do it our way. Let's go with plan B. See, when we're not desperate enough in prayer, it means that we have a plan B. And all plan Bs will do is birth Ishmael's. And Ishmael's make big trouble. Ishmael made big trouble in their house. When Isaac was born, there was an instant rivalry. He bullied him. He mocked him. He had to be sent away. Ishmael became the father of nations that still attack and plague and hate Israel to this day. Ishmael is a problem. Plan B is a problem. Stop going with Plan B. I'll game the system. I'll fool them. I'll trick them. I'll just, you know, I'll just do what I want. Ishmael. Ishmael just makes the situation worse. Wait on God. Get desperate for God. Notice the word there, it says shameless. When when you look at the text there, that the man in the parable, what he was shameless. What what does that mean? Well, that word is a Greek word that means urgent, incessant, and troublesome. When the guy was knocking on his door, he had become shameless. Why? Because he was desperate. Why? Because he had a big need. So he was making a scene. It's late. The house is locked up. My kids are asleep, but hey, let me in. Hey, are you there? Shh, go away. No, let me in. Louder, knocking louder, waking up the neighbors. You could hear cats in the background, you know. He's just making a big to-do about it. Why? Because he had lost his composure. He was so desperate that he didn't care what people thought. He didn't care how he looked. He didn't even care if he was going to make his friend angry. Oh, you got to get me second service today. Desperation, importunity, the King James says. The NSAB says shameless, and it means to be incessant, troublesome, urgent. This describes the level of desperation God is looking for in our prayers. A desperation that totally humbles a person, where dignity goes out the window and what others think of us is of no concern because God is our only hope. Amen. So... The first part of effective prayer is to be desperate. The second requirement of effective prayer is to be persistent. Effective prayer requires persistence. If you're taking notes, write that word down, persistence. One and done is not how it goes in the kingdom. There are some battles we have to fight more than once before we win. Well, I already did that. I already prayed that. I already been through this. I don't want to go through it again. I'm not doing this again. Sometimes we have to fight The giant more than once sometimes we have to fight the battle more than once before we win and you say well what's the point of that pastor that means it requires persistence look what the text says here Uh, it's nine and ten he says so i say to you ask and it will be given seek and you will find knock and it will be open to you what does persistent prayer look like asking seeking knocking That's what persistent prayer looks like. For everyone who asks, receive, and the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, there's a great promise in verse 10 we're going to look at, but understand the the requirement of persistence here. Some of us didn't get the answer to our prayer because maybe we weren't broken enough, but even if we were, once we were broken, we didn't persist until we got the answer. Do you know you can quit on God prematurely? And walk away and say, nah, God's not hearing me. I, I I quit. I'm not crying out anymore. I'm not getting desperate anymore. I'm just going to be hard-hearted. I'm going to be angry. You know, and this, all this does is cut us off from our miracle. We've got to learn to be persistent. Some battles we have to fight more than once to win. Some prayers we've got to pray more than once until they get answered. And we've got to be persistent enough to do that. You say, Pastor, when should I stop praying? We pray until. Pray until what? Until we have the answer from God that we need. Amen? We pray until. And God may not always answer us the way we want, but we must accept his answer. Paul, the apostle, a great man of God, had what he describes as a thorn in the flesh. And I want you to see this. It says here in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9, Paul speaking, because of the extraordinary greatness of revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. So Paul had so many spiritual revelations, such a connection with God, was caught up into the third heaven that the Lord allowed something to afflict him to keep him humble. Why? Because when we have great spiritual success, right away, we can become proud. And so Paul had to have this thorn in the flesh. He said, A messenger from Satan to torment me. Look what it says here to keep me from exalting myself. Now, listen to his response. Concerning this, I pled with the Lord three times that it might leave me. God, take this away. Three times he came, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Sometimes we don't get the answer we want, but we have to accept God's answer because his grace is sufficient for us. But we persist until we get our answer. I didn't say we persist until we get our way. I said we persist until we get the answer. If God says no, then he's got something better. If God says not now, then he's got something better. If God says wait, then we wait. If God says no you know, tighten up your your belt. We're going through the storm here. We're going to learn some things. Then we do that. But we accept the word of the Lord and we we seek it with persistence until he answers. Now, I'm going to give you three examples from the Bible of people who are persistent. Number one, the persistent widow. Wow, she's got persistence in her name. Luke 18, two to five says, saying there was a city judge who feared not God neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city. And she came unto him saying, avenge me of my adversary. Basically, he had a legal issue that was not right. And she's like, make this right. Verse four, it says, and he would not not for a while, but afterwards he said to himself, though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, least by her continual coming, she weary me. What is that all about? It sounds nice. Her continual coming. She will weary me. She was annoying the heck out of him. She was nagging him. I want you to see what's going on here. She hounded him. She henpecked him, and she haunted him until she got what she needed from him. Come on, all the married men, don't look like you don't know what I'm talking about out there. Our wives got a way of making us, you know, getting their point across. Hello. Thank God John is being honest. He put his arm around Donna to avoid the right hook. But the truth is, we know that, man. Nobody can motivate you like your mother or your wife, right? Man, you guys are just, come on, help me out this morning. My mom, if she wanted something done, man, you just better give in because she was not going to give up. And once she said something, she would never take it back. If you were punished, man, you, I don't care if you had Johnny Cochran and a team of lawyers, you weren't getting out. Persistent, the persistent widow, That's a picture of persistence. How about the woman with the issue of blood in Mark 5, 27? What did she do? She spent all her money. She tried all the doctors, and then she heard Jesus was coming. So she sought Jesus out, and she went to where Jesus was, and she pushed through the crowd. Here's this little woman. She's weak. She's had blood loss, so she has no energy, yet she's pushing through the crowd. She's anemic. She's weary. She probably looks pale, but no, she's pushing her way through, and then she grabs hold of Jesus and gets the hem of his garments what is that a picture of? Persistence. How quickly do we give up sometimes? Oh, you know, I prayed, I asked, nothing happened. You know, this woman pushed and pushed until she got a hold of Jesus. The persistent woman, the the, the, the woman with the issue of blood. And lastly, the last biblical example of persistent is Jacob wrestling the angel. Listen to Genesis 32, starting in 25. When the man saw, and now the man was really an angel, Jacob is wrestling with him. When the man saw that he had not prevailed against him, Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said to him, let me go, for dawn is breaking. But he said, listen to what Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Wow. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob, he said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have contended with God and with man and have prevailed. So I want you to see something about Jacob. He he was not just persistent, he was tenacious. We've got to look at the goal and push and order everything in our lives to make it where we need to be and not give ourselves a break and not take detours and, and not mess with the wrong stuff, but to be persistent to the point that we're tenacious in the place of prayer. Jacob is wrestling with an angel. Most people, when they see an angel, they fall down like they're dead. Yet the angel is wrestling with him and he can't beat him. I want you to see how persistent this guy is. He's like amazing. So what does the angel do? He has to touch his hip. Now, if you know anything about wrestling, it's all in your hips. If your hips go, you you can't sprawl, you can't stop a shot, you can't shoot, you can't do anything. If you don't know wrestling, that's why you're looking at me like that. I've been wrestling for a long time, and it's all in the hips. If you wrestle with some guy, I've wrestled with Division I wrestlers and stuff, and they say to me, you got good hips. I'm like, yeah, they're old and arthritic, but thanks a lot. You know, if you got them hips, he had to actually dislocate his hip to prevail against him. That's how tenacious, this guy was a stubborn sucker. I'm telling you what, we got to get some of what Jacob had. I said, we got to get, Lou, I said, we got to get some of what Jacob had, amen. Not that we're going to be lukewarm and laid back and, man, I want God. I want God's will. I want to get free. I want to get delivered. I want to get back on track in my life. I'm going to get desperate for God. I'm going to be persistent with God. The last part of verse 10 is an encouraging guarantee to all of us. It says, for everyone who asks, receive, and whoever seeks, finds, and whoever knocks, it is open. So everyone, are you part of everyone today? So I want to encourage you today, ask, seek, and knock. Pray until, don't give up, be persistent, and you will see the hand of God move in your situation. Number three, the last Uh, A point I want to make about effective prayer is this. Effective prayer requires desperation. Effective prayer requires persistence. And number three, effective prayer requires faith. You never get anything done spiritually without faith. We have to have faith to believe God is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Do we believe in God? Do we believe that he would intervene on our behalf? Do we believe he has a plan for our lives? Do do, do we believe that our behavior matters? Do we believe that we need to not do certain things so we can have the blessing of God on our lives? There are things that we do that cost us the blessing of God. You say, why is that? Because God can't bless our mess. When we insist on sinning and at the same time want to be blessed by God, we mock God. Thank you. Oh, I just wanted to sin and be blessed. That's what our flesh wants. Can't God just, you know, bless me without me doing anything at all? His grace is incredible. His grace is enormous. He forgives us of our sins and our indiscretions and our bad decisions. But we need to exercise faith. Faith is the currency of the kingdom. If you're sitting out there today and you don't have faith in the, in the spiritual realm, I don't care what's in your back bank account or in your wallet, in the spiritual realm, you are broke. When we don't have faith, we are spiritually broke. Anybody like to be broke? Anybody like to open your wallet and have moths come out? Just There's just receipts in there? Come on, anybody? No, nobody likes to be broke. Yet, if we don't exercise our faith, if we don't develop our faith, if we don't, you know, work to get to know God better, we, we, we are spiritually broke and we have a hard time having anything happen correctly for us in the kingdom. We need to exercise our faith for anything spiritual to be profitable. There's another one of those gems that you could hold on to. Exercise your faith for anything spiritual to be profitable. Now, Faith needs to be applied in prayer in three areas. Do you notice that preachers like threes? Here's my last three for the day. Apply our faith in three areas. Number one, faith to believe that God hears. We have got to believe when we pray that God hears us. Well, I prayed and nothing happened. God is not a microwave. God has not hit the thirty-second thing, ding, and then boom. And it's no. Sometimes we pray and we have to pray until, and we wait. But God hears us whether something happens immediately or not. You say, "Well, how can you believe that?" It's by faith. Get this this morning. The devil short circuits our miracle because we pray and nothing happens or you know it gets worse or it doesn't go our way and we think God didn't hear me. God heard you, it's the answer is on its way or there's a different course or whatever the situation is. We've got to believe that God hears us. There's been times in my life where I prayed and I, I didn't hear anything from heaven and I didn't see any action in the situation. But I had to say, I know that God hears me. I know that God heard me. If you have children, you know you are tuned in to your children's voice. Mothers especially. Uh, fathers, you know your kid could be on the playground with 50 other kids and you hear them crying and you're like, oh, 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 oh. oh. That's mine. Where are they? Oh, look at that. They went down the slide backwards and... You know why? Because you can hear your kids cry. I remember when we brought Riley home from the hospital and we put him in his little crib and we had the monitor on, man, every little noise during the night, every little grunt and coo and cry and yelp and I'm hungry, we heard everything. And you know what? Even without that thing, you hear your children. And God is so much more like that even than we are. He hears every cry. He hears every groan. He hears every prayer. He might not answer immediately or the way we thought he would, but he hears us. And we need faith to believe that if you've been praying about something and you haven't seen it come to pass yet, God heard you and your answer is on the way. And don't give up. Be persistent. Hang in there. Stay broken. Stay desperate for God and watch him move. But faith has to be exercised in the place of prayer, and we have to know that God hears us. Number two, we have to believe that God is not like man. Here's the problem, is we have a tendency to project the failures and frailties of sinful man on a perfect, holy, faithful God. And Numbers 23, 19 tells us God is not a man that he should lie. Listen to me, we can't compare man... Uh, to God. And we can't say, because man acts this way, God acts this way. Now, you might be sitting there and go, we don't do that. Absolutely we do. If you had a bad experience with a parent, bad experience with a father, a bad experience with an employer, a teacher, whatever, you, you, you and I project that on God. Well, God's that way. And we can't do that. God is not that way. He's high above us. His ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not ours. He's not a man that he should lie. You say, Pastor, people have promised me things and they've broken their promise to me every time. That's not God. You might say, people have dropped the ball when I needed them the most and they weren't there for me. That's not God. People have turned on me and abandoned me when I was in trouble. That's not God. People have been unsupportive, unfaithful, and unkind to me. That's not God. Don't project those things on God. Your heavenly Father is nothing like that. He's the exact opposite of that. He's faithful. He's patient. He's kind. He's the God of second chances and third chances, amen? He's the God who never quits on us. He's the God that's not willing that any should perish, but all might inherit eternal life. God is not a man that he should lie. Don't project the failures and frailties of men on God. Number three, and I'll close with this, the third area we have to apply our faith to have effective prayer is I said faith to believe that God hears, faith to believe that God is not like a man, and faith to believe that God is good. I want to say a simple statement this morning. God is good. Amen. God is good. God is a good God. He's good to us. He's gracious to us. Our God is an awesome God. Corey Tenboom a woman who survived the concentration camps of Nazi Germany during World War II, wrote this about the goodness of God. She was in a concentration camp, lost many family members, suffered a great deal, but just is an amazing, you know, was an amazing Christian woman who just, uh, you know, had had a perspective that some of us may never have. Corey Tenboom Boom said this, I've heard people say God is so good. We pray that it wouldn't rain for the church picnic and look at the beautiful weather we have. Yes, God is good when he sends good weather, but God was also good when he allowed my sister Betsy to starve to death before my eyes in, in a German concentration camp. One day at that camp, I was very discouraged. I remember saying to Betsy, Betsy, I think God has forgotten us. No, Corey," she said, God has not forgotten us. Remember his word for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great in his steadfast love, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. In an ocean of God's love, there is plenty for everyone. May God grant that you never doubt his goodness whatever the circumstances. Have the faith to believe that God is good, that he's not like man, he won't let you down, that he is a God who hears the cries of his children and approach him with desperation and persistence, and he will hear your prayers and answer them in his perfect timing. Let's bow our heads this morning. You might be here this morning. You're going through something that requires desperation. I encourage you to humble yourself and get desperate to God. But I also encourage you, if you're here this morning, and you have never had an opportunity to accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord. I want to give you that opportunity this morning. You say, Pastor, why would I need to do that? Because we're all sinners, and we need a Savior. And Jesus came to die in our place. So the Bible says if we'll confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we would be saved. Eternal life is a free gift that God gives to those who ask for it, who believe in Jesus, who come in repentance, And accept him. You say, well, what do I have to do to earn that? We can't earn it. It's a free gift. Jesus paid for it for us on the cross. This morning, if you're here and you want a clean slate and a fresh start, if you're here this morning, you want to be forgiven and have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want your eternal destiny settled this morning, look, we don't go to heaven by doing good works or outperforming others or being God's favorite. We go to heaven because we repent and allow Jesus to save us. If you are here this morning and you want a clean slate and a fresh start, I want you to raise your hand this morning. How many people will say, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life? Don't be shy this morning. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Don't be shy. Jesus hung naked and beat on a cross for us because he loved us. You don't have to be shy now. Anyone else? This is the most important part of our service. Any other hands? God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Let's pray a prayer together. Say, Lord Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner. And I recognize you're the Savior. I ask you to save me. Save me from my sins. Forgive me. From this moment forward, I belong to you. I receive you as my Savior. And I receive you as my Lord. Fill me with your spirit so I can live a different life. I belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, welcome to the family of God. A great decision this morning. I want to encourage you, those of you who got packets in your hand, to open those up and read them, starting your new life with Christ, your new walk with Jesus. You say, what's happened to me? You haven't joined the church. You know, we're not going to tackle you. We don't want your credit card. We just want you to know that from this moment forward, you have a different uh, destination for your eternity because you've accepted Jesus. And begin to pray and to seek him and to be in church, and your faith will grow from this moment forward. So God bless you. Let's do what the angels are doing in heaven right now and rejoice.